study uh, in a Paul, uh, if you haven't been with it, just a very quick review. Paul has been addressing this letter to the Galatians uh, today. That region, as we've talked about, is in central Turkey today, uh, which, by the way, when people try and tell you, because there's so much misinformation today, people try to say, Christianity is a Western religion. Just remind them it came from the Middle East, that, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Last I checked, that's nowhere near the United States. Uh, and then the, the gospel went up through Turkey and over through Syria and down into Egypt, and the Ethiopian unit took it to Ethiopia. So really, uh, the, the source of the faith came from right there uh, where Asia, Europe, and Africa all triangulate right there in the Middle East. But that notwithstanding, Paul had been ministering uh, to the churches, which would be modern-day Turkey and over into Greece, and uh, up Syria would be included as well, all places that we see in the news today. Uh, but the Galatians, they, they had come over at some point from, from Europe and settled there, and after they had been saved, they had given up their pagan practices. They worshipped Roman gods, they worshipped Greek gods, they worshipped Celtic gods that they brought uh, from Europe to that part of Turkey. And Paul had uh, seen them come to Christ, and they had been genuinely saved, got rid of the idolatry, got rid of the old ways, and were following Jesus. You remember when you got rid of, when you first got saved, and you, you, you finally said, all right, I can't do these sins anymore. You let those things go away. You said, I can't go get drunk anymore. The Bible says drunkenness is a sin. So I can't do that anymore. Can't do these things. And, and not only did you say, I can't do them, you said, because the Holy Spirit come, I don't want to do them anymore. It's a different thing when someone else tells you you can't do that versus the Holy Spirit comes inside and says, I don't want you to do that. And you say, your spirit agrees, says, I don't want to do that. And they had begun to walk in grace. And that's what happens. You know, before I was saved, the sins that I enjoyed doing, uh, I would be agitated if someone told me I couldn't do them. This is what we see in the general population of the United States. Whenever they're confronted with sin, they don't like it. I don't want to give that up. But when you get saved, the Holy Spirit speaks, and you want to give them, you know you want to give them up because you know they're destructive. You know they can lead to all types of uh, just families breaking up, and not to mention, you know, if we stay in that condition, then certainly there's a judgment coming. We'll have to meet God face to face one day. But the Galatians had been genuinely transformed. They put away the the, the old ways, and they begin to follow the Lord, and then. Up comes teachers of the law. We don't know where they came from. Likely from Jerusalem. Likely of a Pharisee-type background. But they also, they they were super slick. They didn't discount Jesus. They just added the law back onto Jesus. Does that make sense? They didn't say, hey, you you don't have to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. That's all good and well. That's great. But if you don't start to follow these things, that all the ancient Hebrews followed, you can't be saved. You will not go to heaven. And so they added a works-based faith. And there's a lot of works-based faith today. When you meet people that are from the Mormon church, you meet people from Jehovah's Witness, uh, you know, we love them. I, I, we've seen people from those uh, religions come to Christ, but they're works-based. They're, they're false, and they have additive things that are nowhere to be found in the Bible. That's why you get Watchtower Guide in the Book of Mormon. They have to have a different guide because if you read the Scriptures, you'd only arrive at grace. And so Paul has to write this letter to remind the Galatians that you, were not, you couldn't save yourself by your works. 
you could never save yourself. You know, if I could jump 10 feet and you can jump 11 feet, we're still trillions of feet from perfection of Jesus, right? So it doesn't really help you to say, well, well I'm really able to do this and this and this and this and this, and then God will be well pleased with me. No, he's only pleased with his son, Jesus Christ. He's only pleased with the finished work of Christ. So if you're taking notes, um, Paul transitions from the liberty that we have to why we have this liberty, and that's why I've titled uh, the message today, and you can see it right there in the text, Liberty and Love, because they go hand in hand. The liberties that I've been given, Christ wants that liberty to transform me into loving the world as Jesus loved the world. That's what he wants to happen. It doesn't happen immediately in the sense that you don't perfect that the second you get saved. Of course, you probably know this, right? You know that, like, even a week after you got saved, a certain curse word came out in the middle of traffic, right? You thought that stuff was completely gone forever, right? But it wasn't gone forever, was it? Because the old flesh is still in there. So God has to, over time, get that out, clean that out. Those things have to change. And, and where we used to have kind of, I, I don't get mad, I get even. Love starts to replace that. But it takes time. But immediately, God already puts the desire to go in that direction in our hearts. But then we have to continue to die to ourselves. And so Paul's writing the Galatians and saying, hey, this isn't easy. But God lays out how it happens, how you can actually start to walk in liberty and go from moving in liberty all the way to an outflow of love from your life. Don't you love when you meet a really loving person? I mean, genuinely. that You don't know them, they don't know you, but you can just tell that they have an effervescence of love flowing from them, and you can tell they don't want anything from you. They don't need anything from you. They just want to be a blessing and minister to people When you meet that, you know it's real, and it's genuine. The Holy Spirit is actually flowing from that life. And this is what Paul is going to speak to the Galatians, that God wants them to get to that place. They must get to that place, and to actually follow works-based religion will be anything but that. So I want to look at the first thing, if you're taking notes, and again, we'll see how far we get. But the first thing I want to look at this morning is what I've titled Real Freedom. Stand fast, verse 1, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. This word, um, stand fast, in, in the Greek, it just means firm, you know, that you, you're not easily moved. You've got a firm, solid stance. Now, we understand what that means to, to be firmly set and to be standing uh, in a firm place. You think of a soldier that has set their feet and they've got their armor and they, and they are set. You think of martial arts, it's all about balance, and you're set with that firm stance. We understand what that means to stand firm, but at the same time, you're standing firm, but also standing in a freedom. Kind of those two... Uh, in that firm defensive stance, or, or confident stance, if you will, but also freedom. And what have we been set free from? What are we free from? If, if you've come to Christ, I've got a list of 10 things. I, I wouldn't say it's an exhaustive list. I'm sure you can think of others. But these are 10 things that I think it's good for us to know that we have been set free from, according to Scripture. The first one is hell and the judgment to come. 
No matter what people... I know that hell doesn't get preached in many churches anymore, but it's just as real today as it was when Jesus preached about it. And if Jesus preached about it, you better be sure we need to preach about it. Because there really is a hell to come. The Bible says, at every, uh, it is appointed on man once to die, and what? After this, the judgment. I am closer to meeting Jesus. Now, we'll all actually meet him on a judgment day. If you're Christian, you'll meet him at what's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema seat. And you'll give an account for every single thing you did as a believer in Jesus Christ, and God will weigh is it, whether it's wood, hay, or stubble. And, well, versus gold and silver. Will, will your works actually pass the test? So the things that I've done that were selfish, or I really had a bad attitude about it, no credit. But, Lord, I won that person to Christ. Yeah, but you had, you had a Jonah attitude about it. Right? No credit. The things that were done in the Holy Spirit and grace and love, those things, crowns will be given. Like Paul said, he was going to cast his crowns back before the Lord. So we'll all, we'll all have a judgment to come. But the Christian, it's God just basically saying which of our works will actually result in crowns that we'll lay before the Lord. For the unsaved person, the person says, no, I never gave my life to Christ. I don't believe in Jesus. I said thanks, but no thanks. Uh, didn't need that. Chose another religion. Well, then there's a different judgment. That's called the great white throne judgment. And everyone that stands before the great white throne judgment gets the same sentence, eternity in the lake of fire. There's no crowns given, there's no, but there's actually levels of actually punishment. And some of the worst punishment is for false teachers, people that actually claim to be pastors and, and religious leaders that actually lead other people to hell through false teaching. And that Jesus said, their, their judgment will, will even be worse. It's just, and then even those of us who are saved as pastors, we have a stricter judgment in the sense that um, he who is given much, much is required. So I will have, I'll have a stricter judgment even at the Bema seat. I'll still be saved, but I've been given X amount of responsibility, so I have to be judged on that. So does that make sense? So you have those two judgments. Everyone stands before one of those two, either the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment. You don't want to go to the great white throne judgment. Nobody wants to be at that one. But the judgment scene of Christ, if you're saved, uh, we, have the, we have the freedom of knowing that Jesus is not going to condemn us at that judgment. He will reward what was done well. What does he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. So all the things that were well done, if the things you didn't do well, well, they just kind of fall by the wayside. But we don't have to worry about hell. The second, we've been freed from the fear of death. Death grips a lot of people, doesn't it? If you're saved, I had a, for two years I went to um, Central Church of God in Charlotte, North Carolina. There was no Calvary Chapel. Central Church of God is a little more Pentecostal than Calvary Chapel. Pastor Loran there, he can get fired up at times. And um, he used to say, I ain't leaving this earth one second sooner than God planned. Not a second sooner. And so to be fixated on, you know, you want to eat well, you want to be healthy, you want to live as best you can, be, you know, you want to be as useful a servant as you can. So I, I, I run, I try and eat better, all that stuff. But I don't want to be fixated on keeping from dying. There's nothing you can do to stop that. Literally, 
A lightning bolt could hit any of us. True. So, but the fear of death uh, is a snare. And God, when we get saved, he wants to deliver us from that. That we're not fixated on the fear of death anymore. Paul said, death, where's your sting? There's no victory there. Because Jesus has defeated the fear of death. And so we can actually have peace in that respect. The next thing is we're freed from is the power of sin. Now, we still have sin. Like I said, in traffic, you sometimes, in your flesh, people watching you, if they could get in your car and watch you from the back seat and you don't know they're there, they say, you're not as holy as I thought. (laughs) If no one's around, they watch how you interact when your kids are getting on your nerves, they would say, I thought you were always gentle. Because you... But boy, when someone walks in the room, all of a sudden, this is Johnny. He's not behaving, right? Demeanor changes because the law has appeared. Because you know that God has actually sent someone to help you remember. So the the sin still can creep up in our life, but the power of the Holy Spirit... And the longer you're saved, you actually, instead of someone walking in the room changing your behavior, the Holy Spirit will catch you and say, you'll actually hear this voice of the Lord saying, why are you acting that way? How are your kids going to see the love of Christ the way you just talked to them? And you will actually wisely and humbly apologize to your own kids and say, I was wrong. Now, Jesus never had to apologize once for being wrong, but we do a lot. Never once did he have to say to someone, I'm sorry for the way I handled that situation. You realize Jesus is the only person that never had to do that? But you'll never break through the power of sin if you can't ever admit your weaknesses. If you can't ever say to somebody, you know, I really blew it there. Will you forgive me? It's part of Confessing our sins is one of the ways we move past them in life. It's one of the ways we mature. So we're not held under the power of sin, but we still have sin in us. We still do things that we know we shouldn't. We still think things we know we shouldn't, but we bring them right to the cross. Say, Lord, forgive me. Give me fresh start number 2.1 billion. Right? How many fresh starts have you asked for in life from God? However many days you've been alive, right? Hours even. We're free from the power of sin. We're free from the weight of guilt, which is good because we do fall. A righteous man may fall seven times, yet he'll rise back again, according to Proverbs. Because of the fact we do fall, and we do scrape our knees, and by the way, when we scrape our knees, it's evident we, we have fallen, right? People can see scraped knees. People know you've fallen in life, but they've fallen too. And so you have to say, Lord, I can rest in the fact that I don't have to live under guilt. If, if David had, a, had to live forever under the guilt of Bathsheba and murdering Uriah, how in the world could he have gone on to wrote more, write more of the Psalms? If Moses had to live forever under the guilt of killing an Egyptian, how could he have led all the children of Israel? You have to... Now, you can't be in an unsaved world. You can't say, oh, just forget about it. No, it has to be brought to the cross. But once it's brought to the cross, and there's people in this room... You know, I've talked to people that have had tears run down their face, say, you know, I I did this in the past, or I did that in the past, and it really weighs heavy. And we can pray and say, you don't don't have to hold on to that anymore. You've been saved. You You can let go of that now. 
You can, you can make whatever amends you can like Zacchaeus did. He went back and the people he defrauded, he did the best that he could. But even some people, do you realize that Zacchaeus could go back and make amends and some people would have told Zacchaeus they would have thrown the money right back in his face. Do you realize that that would have happened? That some people would have said, thanks but no thanks, I'll never forgive you, ever. But he doesn't have to live under their non-forgiveness. That's their issue at that point. You still love them, but you don't have to live under past guilt if you've been saved, which is great. We don't have to live under the past mistakes and failures. Now, this is just not always sins, but just, just things that we blew it, not even on purpose. Right? We, we do not have power over time and space, so we will make mistakes. By the way, be very forgiving of other people because a lot of times they've done their best and still failed. True? A lot of times people have done their best, and that's not a sin. They just are imperfect, so they've done the best they could, and it looks like a failure, and some people can't get past failure. The only way you'll ever be successful is to actually have some failures, by the way. All the great inventors have learned this. But some of it's past sins, some of it's past mistakes, but we can't, you don't have to be in bondage that anymore. Once you kind of are okay with the fact that you can tell the world, I'm really not that smart. You're going to be a lot better off. I'm really not as strong as everyone thinks I am. You're going to be a lot better off. I'm really not the genius parent that everyone thinks I am. Once you can admit that, you're going to do a lot better. And people aren't going to hold you on a pedestal that makes you feel worse when you do fall. True? So you can't... You don't have to live under the bond of that. We've been set free from that. The world tries to... One last thing about this. This is the difference between the world and the body of Christ. The world tries to make you think that they are almost perfect. You don't ever hear, when you see an an interview with a Hollywood star, you don't hear them tell, I'm a wreck. Nobody should follow me on Twitter. I don't have any wisdom at all. No, they're telling about, oh, things are great. I'm working on a new movie right now. It's a really cool new movie. You know, we just finished the other set movie. Oh, everything's going great. We're filming on the south of France right now. That's the way they talk. Meanwhile, but how was things in the hotel room? Well, I, I took a lot. I took about a bottle of sleeping pills just to cope. That's not happening, right? Watch people's Facebook site. They don't tell you. They just say, look what I'm eating at Chili's, right? (laughs) And you say, that's amazing. (laughs) I've never heard of Chili's, right? So they try and make life like like they're perfect, like everything is just uh, amazing you should enjoy my life. It's like skateboarding. Uh, it's like going down a mountain on a skis that I'm going and, and bear, you know, it might would portray this lifestyle that I'm adventurous and all these things. And you find out you don't do any of this stuff. <laughs> so we don't have to pl- pretend we're perfect. We've been free, set free from that. Number six, we don't have to be led by our feelings anymore. Now, God gave us feelings. Feelings are are something from God, and they're good if they're under the control of God. 
but they can be really bad when they're under control of us, right? Feelings have caused people to divorce over next to nothing. Feelings have caused people to really hurt other people. Feelings have caused people to make really bad mistakes. We're not led by feeling. I may not... Let's say this morning I didn't feel like preaching. I did feel like... This morning I did. Last week, maybe not. But uh, (laughs) if I didn't feel like it, God doesn't care if I feel like it. He says, this is what I've asked you to do. Moses did not feel like going to talking to Pharaoh. Would you? He had a death sentence if he ever came back to Egypt. God says, go back to Pharaoh. Moses, I don't really feel like doing that. That doesn't feel fun. It feels dangerous, right? Forget X Games. This seems really dangerous, God. And God says, no, you're going based on Fact and faith that I have Israel in the palm of my hand. I need you to do this. If, if you're a mom, your kid's thrown up in the middle of the night, I don't feel like going and helping. That has nothing to do with feeling at that point, does it? It's you know what you must do. You drag your completely tired self out of bed. In our house, we've launched into operation, turn washing machine on, get this going, you know. No one feels like doing that. It's not based on feelings. And and in in all the context of our life, God says that all of these things that you may not feel like doing, or even things you do feel like doing, that God says, if you say, well, I feel like going on vacation for six weeks. God says, you can't go on vacation for six weeks. You have responsibilities. So things you feel like doing and things you don't feel like doing have nothing to do with it. And I know that the world knows this, but they don't really know it as it relates to day-by-day, step-by-step, walk-by-walk. And we become, as we're saved, we start to realize that our choices are not our own. Our choices are Jesus' choices. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Even in the 23rd Psalm, I'm reminded, I remind people, it says, he makes us to lie down. You sometimes don't even feel like lying down. And God says, you need to rest. That's why he said, six days shall a man work, the seventh day shall rest, because people aren't smart enough to rest. They aren't oftentimes, right? Now, we can go the reverse. America is an all-leisure society now. As much as they could, they'd rest all the time. And we kind of, we kind of uh, fluctuate between the two extremes, zero rest or all rest. You know what I'm saying? And God says, I'm going to teach you that you have, you, you're set free by feelings. You're not... Led by feelings. I'm going to give you the right balance. You're not going to be emotionally driven. When you worship the Lord with emotion, that's a good thing. But God is he's authorizing that. When you use your emotions to lash out at somebody, that's not. That's being led by feelings of the flesh. So we're set free from that. Number seven, excuses. Does anything need to be said about this at all, right? We're full of them. And most of the excuses we really give to God. We give some to other people, but most of them we give to God. Would you admit? We, we don't really talk to God that way. We just kind of mumble to ourselves. Meanwhile, he hears that and is well aware of the excuse. But we, we kind of have excuses for everything. And, but God, over time, I know in my life, he's told me, 
Do not make that excuse. Do not say that excuse. Simply say what it is. Gently, don't, don't make the excuses for everything. We're set free from that. The world, again, why, why do people use excuses? Because they want to protect their perfect image, right? That's usually what it is. It's not always that it is, but th- that's a uh, normal use of it. Number eight, we're set free from the course of this world. The world has a focus. The world is trying to make earth into heaven. That's what it is. That's why you see, you know, the sandals commercials all the time and all these kind of things. And, you know, the world is trying to make earth into heaven. You know, your life would be... You remember when cable TV came out and you had like... We were amazed that we had 40 channels. How many are out there now? A thousand? I I can't even keep up with them all. But, you know, the cable package you have now... I don't know what the levels are, but one, two, three... Plat, double platinum, whatever it is on the end, 600, who can watch 600 channels anyway? But the, the idea is if you had this much, you would be even happier than you already are. If you drove an infinity, you'd finally be happy. If you had this, if you had that. The course of the world says, and by the way, we have a consumer-driven economy. I was talking about this with, uh, with my wife. I said, you know, uh, you know how, like, the vintage stuff is really in style right now? Everything vintage? I actually like it. I hope it never goes out of stock because I actually I truly like the way it looks. But I told my wife, I said, the sad part, it's going to go out because the fashion people are going to tell us it's gone. <laughs> and the interior design people are going to tell us that's, that time's over. Why? Because you can't sell new products until you say this is over. So Madison Avenue will come out and say, vintage is dead. Clean out your Pinterest boards. (laughs) Clean them out because this, if you thought charcoal gray was an in color for your it's not anymore. Who said it's not? We said it's not. Why? Because Glidden can't sell more paint now until you repaint. That's the way it works. Like I said, I worked 16 years in Fortune 500 companies, I'm telling you, you cannot have a consumer-driven economy unless you tell people that uh, you're going to have to get rid of that car because that Ford truck is not shaped like the new Ford truck. And your neighbor is going to think you have an old truck. And if you have an old truck, then you don't really measure up to them, so you're going to have to upgrade. But that's going to add 150 to my car payment. Just make more money. Jesus says, why don't you invest it in the kingdom? And, be, and, and don't, don't care what they think. We're set free from the course of this world. Number nine, we're set free from self-absorption. I'm not saying that these things don't creep back in. The reason we're laughing is we know they all do. The sin nature is there. We have the, war and the flesh and the spirit warring against each other. But self-absorption, we naturally... Uh, we're going to jump ahead just for a second. Verse 14, Paul says, For the law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible is clear. We never have to teach ourselves to love ourselves. The Bible says you're born loving yourself. The whole self-esteem thing, very, very... (laughs) uh, I would say that that is something that people have used to really rationalize behavior. We naturally esteem ourselves to a great extent. We are self-absorbed. 
it, we don't naturally, you know, all the way back to Garden of Eden, Cain was not thinking about Abel. Cain was thinking about Cain. Eve wasn't thinking about the rest of humanity. Eve was thinking about Eve, right? Adam wasn't thinking about Eve. Adam was thinking about Adam. We are naturally self-absorbed. We have to, Christ breaks down our natural tendency for self and sets us free to actually see other people, to see that other people matter to God. We're set free from, you know, you know when horses race, you know, they put the blinders on them? They don't want the horses to see the other horses. They want them to see straight ahead. God actually takes the blinders off, does the reverse. So we can see and says, you need to go minister there. Jesus sent the disciples, what, out two by two. He didn't say, we're going to stay on this mountain forever and just chill out together. Because my teaching is the... Where would you get better teaching than Jesus? You guys can just sit on it. Like, you would get tired of my teaching. You're probably tired of it by now, already this morning. But you wouldn't get tired of Jesus' teaching. But yet he didn't say you could stay forever there. He said you're going to have to go out into the highways and the hedges and the byways. You're going to have to meet people. You can't be self-absorbed. We're set free from that. Now, we'll fall into that. And the Holy Spirit would say, you're falling back into self-absorption. You're having a pity party. Look out. Jesus, the fields are white unto harvest. That's what he said to the, the people there in Samaria. And then the last one we're freed from, the futility of works and religion. This is what the Galatians fell back into, which we'll, we'll, we're going to stop here based on time, and we'll, we'll do a part two on liberty and love. But this right here, is what the Galatians went back to. They, they'd come out of false religion, more of a pagan religion, and they instead went back to a religious system, but this time it was Judaism. And Judaism will not save you, even though Judaism has some of the same elements as saving faith, same God, same Old Testament scriptures, all that's true, but you couldn't be saved by just keeping the law any more than you could be saved by worshiping Zeus and Apollo, right? In, in a pagan-based religion, God, neither one. We're not saved because we kept the dietary laws. I'll never forget, um, uh, I, was, um, I was at a restaurant, and we were, uh, we were eating and and I, and I had a Jewish guy that I knew was involved in very specific sins. And uh, so I, 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 I'd forgotten for a moment that he was Jewish, and I, and I had said something to the effect of, uh, uh, oh, the crab cakes are on the menu. He goes, I don't eat, I don't eat shellfish. And I said, why? He goes, well, you, I'm Jewish, you know, that, that's a sin. And I'm thinking, hold on, we've been talking about other sins here <laughs> that are definite sins, and a crab cake is not going to send you to hell. If it is, then I'm doomed. Right? Because I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland. And I'm not kidding. It was a, dis- it was a discussion about a crab cake on the menu. And he's like, no, nah, it's shellfish. I can't eat that. That's a sin. It was, like, it was business back in like 1999 or 2000. I was traveling a lot. And uh, I just, I had to shake my head. It was, it was comical to some extent because truly, he had found some rules he could keep that made him feel justified. Meanwhile, we're talking about other sins that God will surely judge for. Now, it is true that in the, under the Old 
Testament, they could not eat shellfish under the Mosaic law, but that was a different time. And even that wasn't the save. You realize that that wasn't what saved Moses, not eating shellfish. That was not what saved Moses. They had certain things that God gave them as a nation that was nation given. But nevertheless, people uh, gravitate to religious forms and functions, right? Like, you know, someone that may come out of a different faith says, you know, where's all the, where's all the incense, right? Where's this and that, you know? Where's your golden goblets? We don't have any of that stuff. They, may, they might be up in the throne room of heaven, but we're not, those kind of things have no value. The gold should be what God does in our hearts, right? That should be it. We're going to have to stop there for the sake of time. We'll pick up where we left off. Uh, we've, got, we've got three more things to look at in regarding liberty and love. But this kind of opens up for you, I hope, what Paul is, is speaking to the Galatians to say, look, God's given you a liberty. And Christian, God's given you a liberty. You have a liberty to now live how Jesus designed you to live. And that's what? In vertical communion and harmony with God. Because by nature, we are not in vertical communion and harmony with God. We are running opposite of God, and we're running with the course of the world. And God saved us from that. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful, so thankful, so humbled that you sent Jesus to give us this liberty that we're reading of this morning through the death on the cross and the blood that you shed for us, which we're going to remember in just a few minutes, Lord, and we're thankful that you shed your blood, that we could live in freedom, but not freedom for ourselves, but set free to love you and to love others. On which all the other commandments hang, these two commandments that we would love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors ourselves. You've set us free from the lies of the enemy. Even the things we talked about earlier, Lord, just the, the lies that he would sow in people. And we're thankful, Lord, that each of these things, all ten that we looked at, your Holy Spirit will comfort us, remind us, restrain us, and bring us back because of grace. Thank you for your amazing grace. It is such a sweet sound to our ears. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.